Christ was born just before break of morn. As the stars in the sky were fading, o'er the place where he lay fell a shadow cold and gray of a cross that would humble a king. Born to die upon Calvary, Jesus suffered my sin to forgive. Born to die upon Calvary, he was wounded that I might live. Jesus knew when he came, he would suffer in shame. He could feel every pain and sorrow, but he left paradise with his blood. He paid the price, my redemption to Jesus I owe. Born to die upon Calvary, Jesus suffered my sin to forgive. was wounded that I might live. Dearest Lord, evermore, may thy cross I adore as I follow the path to Calvary. Of thy death I partake, my ambition I forsake, all my will I surrender to Thee. Born to die upon Calvary, Jesus suffered my sin to forgive. Born to die upon Calvary, He was wounded that I wounded that I might live. I was thinking as I was watching those guys sing, listen, man, they did a great job, by the way. But I thought about um, a couple of our young guys in the college, and I thought I, I kind of caught a glimpse of one of them or something during the song, and I thought... They're back there. Right now, they're sitting there thinking, you know, when I get old, I want to be able to do that. You guys are looking at them guys going, man, when I get older, older, I definitely, I hope one day I'll be up there singing with those old, you know, like that one day. And some of you guys aren't laughing, but you know what? To them, they're old. When you're 18, 19, and somebody's 30 years old, they're old to you. And I just thought to myself, They've kind of entered into a whole new life. I mean, because you guys, they're old, right? They, they seem old to you, right? They do. I mean, I, I know. Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't feel so bad now. I get up and sing, and they're like, man, it won't be long. We'll be having to take his place. So, right? Yeah, that's about it, huh? Yeah, I know how they think. 
Yeah, you're hoping. Just like I say all these guys around here for years, we used to have, I don't know, at one point we had, I think, 11 guys in Bible college. And uh, I still remember thinking every one of them would be glad if I just passed over or died right here in the pulpit so they could come up and start preaching. Yeah, but anyway. Tough crowd tonight. I don't even think I have any jokes on me tonight. No, I don't. I mean, these are the ones I told the other day. I can't even tell them. See, I forgot to put the new ones in. I should have because you need them. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Chapter 2, beginning verse 1. Again, we're in uh, this time of the year where it seems that everything kind of gets centered around Christmas and uh, we would call it the Christmas story, but we know it's an account. We don't get an opportunity to preach on it that awfully much, and so when we do, obviously, this time of year, we're going to hit it. And uh, so Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, let's begin reading there. And uh, we touched on it uh, a little bit this morning, and, uh, but let's go ahead and read through it uh, this evening. And it came to pass in those days... That there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary's espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Father, again, we ask for your leadership and we know, Father, that what many would consider a story, we are convinced is reality. We're so happy that what is in this book, the Word of God, is true. That we don't have just hope in this life, we have hope in the next. Thank you for your Son, and thank you for the salvation that's ours in Christ Jesus. Father, I ask that you'd fill me with your Spirit and allow me to be your mouthpiece today. Lord, I... uh, I have nothing to offer this thy people except you give it me. And I'm praying that you will fill me. Now, Lord, be with every listening ear. May we hear with spiritual ears and may we be encouraged and inspired to be better for you. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. In the passage, of course, we read about Mary and Joseph and the fact that they were or made a major journey to Bethlehem. That journey to probably was around 80 miles for them. And if you took a caravan in that day, which was a pretty safe and comfortable way of traveling in those days, you'd probably cover about 20 miles a day. Now, if Mary and Joseph had traveled in a caravan, it would have taken probably four days then to arrive in Bethlehem. Tradition, of course, has Mary riding a a donkey and Joseph walking behind her, of course. 
if that was the case, under those circumstances, it would have taken them probably closer to a week to travel. Now, they would have come across a number of little towns where they could have gotten a night's stay, or maybe they would have stayed along the roadside and slept under the stars. But either way, this was a long journey. It was not something like in our day where we jump in a car and a few hours later there we arrive. Not only do we see that this would have taken a number of days, but let's be honest, I'm sure that the terrain and the roads weren't necessarily that pristine. And we have a woman, of course, Mary, who is with child. And she's not just a few months pregnant. She's, she's ready to burst. I mean, it's on. It could happen at any moment. I mean, I can only imagine Joseph thinking, please don't let it happen here. Please don't let it happen here. But you know what? She got to Bethlehem before, of course, the Lord allowed her to have the baby Jesus. They reach Bethlehem. And of course, there she delivers. And the Bible goes on to tell us that Mary wrapped Jesus in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. Of course, a manger was nothing more than a trough or a box in which you put the fodder for these cattle or possibly for the horses. Uh, maybe uh, horses fed out of it and different animals would have fed out of that trough, if you will. Here we have Christ who left the throne of heaven, Jesus who is God, and here he is in a trough on earth. That's where we find the Savior here. That's kind of a crazy thing to think about. We find him in a stable, his first resting place, an old trough. We might have thought to ourselves, well, he should be resting in a palace, but instead he was sleeping in a stable. The reason we, excuse myself, excuse me, that the reason he was in a stable and found resting in a trough is because, as the Bible says, there was no room for them in the inn. See, there were plenty of other guests. There was just no room for Jesus. We may think, well, how in the world could that innkeeper, how could he possibly have denied her a room? I mean, we may even be tempted to think, well, why in the world didn't he give up his own room? I, I, I'm just, I don't know. Those are good thoughts. Why wouldn't he go and ask somebody that had a room even? Would you mind trading places with this woman who, I mean, she's going to have a baby. I mean, how could this man left Jesus out in the cold? Well, we do the same thing, don't we? I mean, we're guilty of filling our lives with everyone and everything else, leaving no room for Jesus at times. If we're not careful, we can squeeze him right out of our lives as well. It's not that... We want to leave him out in the cold, of course, but we just don't have any more room. We're all filled up. I've told the story before, but it was a number of years ago now, but when I was a teenager, I was living at home, of course. I didn't leave home until after I went into the military, really. I stayed up late one night watching TV, and on the weekends, we were allowed to stay up a lot later, and 
I was probably watching one of those stupid movies, you know, with, with uh, Houlihan and Big Chuck or something. <laughs> and I still remember uh, I was getting really hungry, you know, and as a teenager, you can eat at least uh, five times a day. I mean, that, that's no problem at all, right? And I went to the kitchen and I made myself, I mean, I, I've always, and I was telling the singles this this morning, I, I've always liked peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah, I mean, that's simple, but I like them. And I, you know, I'm one of those guys, you know, if I'm going to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I mean, I'm, I'm going to load up on peanut butter. And then I, and I want the jelly just, I mean, just kind of floating on top almost or so much. And then when you, you grab it and you start to eat it, it kind of drips out the back end. You know, that, that's what I'm talking about. And I remember making a couple of those kind of sandwiches that night. And so they were nice and thick. They were good sandwiches. And I got me a, a glass of ice cold milk out of the refrigerator. And I went and sat down in front of the TV and I started eating them sandwiches and drinking that cold milk. And man, I was just having a good old time. And my brother, he, uh, he worked at what used to be called Vaqueros. And now it's called Geo's. It, did, it wasn't located where it is now. It was down the street a ways. But, man, Vaqueros was a great place. And he, uh, uh, it, it had tremendous food and wonderful pizza. But my brother, he was a uh, dishwasher there, and he had gotten a job. And when he would work really late, he would make his own pizzas. I don't know about you, but if you've ever worked at McDonald's or some fast food restaurant or even a restaurant like that, and you get a chance to make your own, it's always better than the one they make. And so my brother, he, uh, he came home really late that night. He usually closed or something on the weekend. And next thing I know, he shows up and he's got a pizza. And I mean to tell you, it, it's got to weigh 10 pounds. I mean, he, he's one of the things he put tons of pepperoni, tons of sausage on it and triple cheese, you know. And I mean to tell you, when he walked in the room that night and he had that pizza in his hand, you know, and I could tell his muscles were flexing, it was so heavy. He carries it on into the kitchen, and I just kind of, I, I kind of just kind of got up and floated on in there myself, you know. And I'm smelling that thing, and it's tickling my nose, and I'm like, "Oh man, this is gonna, be, oh man." And he says, opens it up, and I just was like, "Wow." He said, "Mark, you want a piece?" And I went, "Oh, do I want a piece of that? Oh, I want a piece of that." But I was all full up. Man, I'd eaten those two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, those thick ones, I mean big and heavy-duty ones, two full glasses of ice-cold milk. I was full, and I'm thinking, oh, do I want a piece of that? I just don't have any room. I tried to eat a little bit, but it just wouldn't happen. You know, it wasn't necessarily that the innkeeper didn't want Jesus in his inn. It's just that he didn't have any more room. And you and I got to be careful in our lives not to fill up on everything else and not leave room for Jesus. And so I just want to share three simple areas that we need to make room for Jesus in. Number one, we need to make room for Jesus in our heart. Make room in your heart for him. We know that the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20. Turn there, would you please? And again, I, I trust and hope that most of you already know Christ is your Savior. We'll not spend very much time here, but I think it's important that we note how important it is 
to make room for Jesus in our heart. He says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, as you get there, it's right at the end of the Bible, and behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. I mean, the Bible's pretty clear to point out that Jesus is knocking and he's seeking admission in our lives. He wants to be in our heart, if you will. He's looking for room. He wants to take his place there. He wants to take up residency in our life and in our hearts, if you will. He described that to the disciples before he went to Calvary and ultimately before he went back to be with the Father. Their hearts were troubled. They were having a difficult time. They were struggling with the idea that Jesus Christ was going to be put to death. And he said, listen, I want to put your minds and your hearts at rest. And the truth is that I'm going to send another comforter even. Long after I'm gone, someone else will come here and he's going to live in you. But here's what he says. He says, but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. He's saying, listen, the comforter is the Holy Ghost, but I'm coming to you in the person of the Holy Ghost. Even though he's living in you, I'll be there. I'm going to be there. See, he's God, and the Holy Spirit's God, and God the Father's God, and how do you do all that, and how does it make sense? I don't know. The Bible calls it a mystery, but the Holy Ghost is in your heart, but Jesus says, no, I'll be with you. You know what, I believe that Jesus Christ is in my heart today if I've indeed invited him into my life. I know it's the Holy Ghost inside me, but Jesus is with me, he said. And he's with you too. But you've got to make room for him. He stands at the door knocking, our heart's door knocking, and he's saying, you're going to have to consciously invite me in. You've got to open the door of your life to me. I've got to be able to come in and through that door and into your life. But how many times have people thought to themselves, well, it's not that I don't want Jesus in my life. I, I just don't have any room. Lord Kenneth Clark, internationally known for his television series, Civilization, he lived and died without faith in Jesus Christ. He admitted in his autobiography that while he visited a beautiful church, he had what he believed to be an overwhelming religious experience. He said, quote, My whole being was irradiated by a kind of heavenly joy far more intense than anything I had known before. He goes on, though, to say, But the, quote, gloom of grace. The gloom of grace, as he described it, created a problem. And here's what he, he struggled with. It said, if he allowed himself to be influenced by it, he knew he'd have to change. And he thought, my family might think I've lost my mind. Or maybe that intense joy would prove to be an illusion. So here's what he concluded. He said, I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course. What's he saying? I had no room for Jesus. Jesus came a-knocking, seeking admission in his heart. But unfortunately, this man said, I have no room. That's a pretty scary place to be. You know, may you and I never be found so embedded in the world, overrun by activity, or simply too consumed with self, 
not to have room for Jesus. Let's make room in our heart for him. Number two, make room in your life for him. Not just your heart, but your life. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Matthew 22, verse 37. We have a directive here and a command, really, and I don't know, sometimes, uh, you know, we, we often quote this or we'll share it in a message or a Sunday school class. I, I'm not convinced that any of us really understand the magnitude of this and how, I, I guess, the, the expectation that God himself has concerning this area in our life. But notice in Matthew twenty two thirty seven and 38, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And with all thy soul and with all thy mind. He goes on to say, this is the first and great commandment. Now, I, I don't know about you, but Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. I, sometimes I don't even know if I understand how to do that. How can I do that? And still function in the world I'm in. How can I be so single-minded so single-focused on Him in the midst of all the activity and the things that need to be accomplished and done, even things that He claims I should be doing on His behalf. And yet we're told this is the first and great commandment. Now there is no doubt that you can love your children, but then you can love your wife. There's no doubt you can love friends and you can love family. There's plenty of room for love to go around, but when it's all said and done, he says, listen, thou shalt love the God, Lord thy God with all thy heart. I don't know about you, but I guess what that's implying and what it seems to be indicating is, is that there can be nothing in my life that I love anymore or that gets between me and him under any circumstance. I, I can't even wrap my mind around what, how that really works 100% at times. But I know to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, that's, that's pretty big. In his book, Marching Orders, Carl Laney, he, he tells the story of a famous printing hanging in a Berlin art gallery. And I shared this a little while back, but the painting is a painting by German painter Adolf Menzel. The painting's only partially finished, and Menzel had intended to show Frederick the Great speaking with some of his generals, but... Menzel painted the generals and he filled in the background and he left the king in the last. He even outlined King Frederick in charcoal, but, but he died before ever finishing the painting. A number of Christians come to the end of their lives without ever having put Christ the king into his proper place. Having ever put Christ center stage. We fill in our days with all the characters in the background of life. We often fail, however, to 
place him center stage. We fail to prioritize our lives properly. Oh, we, we place Christ in our lives, but we don't necessarily place him where he truly belongs. How many times have we let Christ have a part in our life, but he is not our life? Oh, we put so many other things ahead of the Lord at times, but we need to make room for him today. Not just as our Savior, but as our Lord. We need to center him on the canvas of our life. The first and great commandment of Scripture declares man's great need to prioritize God as his first love. Is God, the Lord Jesus Christ, your first love? Does he take precedent over all other relationships? You know, we may have lives that are full of activity, but lack God. Isn't that pitiful to think of? Even as believers, it's possible. You know, we can come to church and we can do everything that we're supposed to do, at least what we would consider to be good, spiritual. We got all kinds of activity. We're busy, busy, busy in the things of Christ, so to speak, and yet know God. I mean, how in the world is it? And you tell me, please, not now, but how is it if you say that can't be true? Then how is it someone can go out soul winning? How is it someone can sing in a choir? How is it somebody can teach a Sunday school class and never read their Bible consistently? Is it possible that we're so busy going through the motions, we're so busy doing, 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 and while all along there's no God? It's almost as if as long as we confess our failure, then we're spiritual. Oh, I struggle with my Bible reading. I struggle with prayer all the time. I have such a difficult time doing that consistently. But praise God, I'm spiritual. It's almost as if as long as we're willing to confess it and, and we kind of own it, then, well, obviously we must be pretty spiritual because only humble people would do that. I'm just saying, how is it that we can do everything we do but neglect Him? Teenagers, if you ever get anything, don't, don't just, you ought to be quick to want to serve the Lord. This mentality, oh, I want to stay in Sunday school class. I want to be fed. You're nuts. You ought to be chomping at the bit to get into a Sunday school class. You ought to be chomping at the bit to serve the Lord. What is wrong with us? Why aren't we excited and anxious to do those things? Can I tell you? Young people, you ought to be, but hold on. If that's all you're doing is the busy activity, the service, and you don't take time to get in your Bible every day, you don't take time to read and study the scriptures or memorize the word of God. You are, you are missing it big time. We're fooling ourselves 
I'm convinced today in Christianity as a whole, and I don't necessarily mean even just our church. I'm talking about Christianity as a whole. We are, we, we have so consumed ourselves with life that there's very little room for Jesus today. And I think that's evidence as you look at all the statistics when it comes to church attendance and Bible reading and study of the scriptures. And you say to yourself, how is it that so few Christians that claim to be Christian go to church then? And how is it that so many Christians that claim to be Christian don't read their Bible consistently? And how is it that they don't uh, uh, study the scriptures or, or, or go to, you know, I mean, how is this possible we don't pray? But I think, I think it's a problem. I think maybe at times Christ isn't really center stage. And we've not made room. Oh, we can get on the old innkeeper and man, he, he should have done something to make room for Jesus. I mean, I don't care what it cost him and it doesn't matter how inconvenienced he might have been. He needed to make room for Jesus. Well, what about us? Well, you don't understand. My work schedule's been crazy. My kids are off the rails. It's been a nightmare lately. I don't know. Maybe you should do whatever it takes to keep him, what, center stage. Maybe you and I ought to do everything we can to make room for him. Instead of simply going, well, you know, it's been tough and everybody struggles with their Bible reading and prayer. Do they? Everybody? Mm. That's like thieves always thinking everybody else is going to steal from them. Come on. Not everybody's having a problem with that. Eric Hoffer in a periodical, once stated a profound truth. He said, quote, the feeling of being hurried is not usually the result of living a full life and having no time. It is, on the contrary, born of a vague fear that we are wasting our life. When we do not do the one thing we ought to do, we have no time for anything else. We are the busiest people in the world there's a lot of truth to this one. And I fear that many are frustrated, even believers, because their lives are being described by Hoffer here. They're unwittingly, they're, they're unwitting, the unwitting reality of a wasted life. You know, you can go to church and still not have purpose. Not find purpose, not fulfill your God-given purpose. I believe we're going to arrive in heaven one day with Many more regrets than we'd like to. I'm, I'm considering, I, I'm pointing at myself too. Frustration, stress, and anxiety preoccupies the lives of Americans at an alarming rate. The truth is that most Christians are in the same boat. Many lives, excuse me, many live their lives unfulfilled, unsatisfied, and unhappy today. And that's a shame as a believer. That's a sad commentary for those of us that have been given the most satisfying, rewarding vocation of all. To be co-labors together with Christ the Creator in reaching the world with the gospel. 
It's been said, it's more important to know where you're going than to get there quickly. Don't make, don't mistake activity for achievement. And so many times we're so in a hurry today, I wonder if we're not more interested in how fast we're going than in where, really where we're headed or where we're at. Well, listen, do not mistake activity for achievement. Make time in your life for Jesus Christ. Spend time in his word. Spend time on your knees. Spend time in his house. Get involved and engaged in his work, fulfilling his purpose and plan for your life. But in the midst of all the activity, don't lose sight of the one person that you can't lose sight of, and that's him. I mean, Jesus himself said, I must work the work of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. So there's no doubt that while he was on earth, he understood that his days were numbered. He only had so much time. And you and I need to be conscious to make room for Jesus in our lives. See, time stops for no one. Before you know it, we'll be standing before the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll be giving an account. I don't know. I, I feel like this is a point we could sit on for a long time. Because I think all of us, if we're honest at times, find ourselves racing in this, what we would call a rat race of life. And we're just so busy, especially this time of year. You know, this is Jesus' time of year, right? But a lot of times he gets left out in the cold. I mean, I got shopping to do. I got presents to buy. I've got responsibilities. I've got parties to attend and family gatherings. And man, my whole schedule's out of whack and it's a mess. Oh, I'm going to get some time off and I'll spend time in the Word. But eh, it doesn't seem like it happens that way. Not too many people probably spend more time reading and studying their Bible on vacation than they do when they're working. It's kind of funny. You're more busy when you're at work all day than you are when you're off. But for some reason when you're off, you just don't seem to get to it. You ever notice that about vacations? If you're not careful, you can almost forget about God in the midst of them all. And it's crazy. You get your schedule all upset and out of whack, and next thing you know, boom, he's gone. And that's true in my life. It's true in yours if we're not careful. Set some goals for yourself in those areas. Truly set goals. If you're going to have three days off, set some goals. How many chapters of the Bible am I going to read? How, much, how many books of the Bible will I finish? You get what I'm saying? You know, what, what will I accomplish? How, how much time will I spend in prayer now that I have these, this time off? I mean, if I were you, and I think it's important that we set some goals sometimes. Otherwise, it may just pass us by. But nonetheless, make room in your life for him. And finally, just make room in your home for him. Make room in your home for him. Turn to Joshua 24, 15, would you please? <clears throat> and this is true whether you, are, you have a family, like a bunch of children running around the house, or, or like my wife and I right now, we're... We don't have children running around the house. If we're fortunate, some of the grandkids will come by, you know, and, and that's wonderful. If we're not, just our kids drop by. Did you, did you get that? Did you get it? I just thought I'd say it to see if anybody's really listening to me. 
No, but really, it's awesome when the caring kids stop by, but look, the truth is that's not, that's not how it is all the time. It's, it's just, you're, you're by, but hold on, it's your home. Hey, let's make room for him in our home then. And you know, and, and I, I know I can do a better job of that at times. Sometimes when the kids aren't around, it's a little harder to make time for the Lord in your home. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. It's kind of like when you're on vacation, how hard it is to have time to read and study your Bible or to pray. And you're thinking, I got all day, but I never get to it. Your kids all leave the house. Next thing you know, you feel like, wow, all those little you know, things we used to do with the kids and all the time we spent around the Word of God and all of that. that well, I guess we don't need to do that now. The kids aren't here. And what don't you do? You get what I'm saying? It's, it's like, it's kind of weird. But anyway, so all of us can, can learn from this and all of us can uh, grow in this area. Joshua 24, 15. And of course, we know the situation and here's Joshua now. He's given some commands to uh, some, some statements, making some statements to the people of God. I mean, they've occupied the land now, and I mean, he's, he's getting ready to head off the scene even down the road here. And he says, and if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I like that. I, I like how he says, but as for me, and I always bring this up, and I know people probably get tired of me saying it, but I, I like that he first says, but as for me. It's interesting, you know, isn't it? It's kind of like a lot of people, you know, and, and, and I'm just going to say this. I hope nobody has this attitude, but I, I can see people sometimes, if we're not careful, we, we kind of find, well, you know what, if I can get in this position, then I can tell other people to do it. If I'm in charge, then I can just delegate it. Well, I'm dad. I can tell everybody, well, you know what? You guys need to go to church and uh, you guys need to read your Bible. And honey, make sure that you're having devotions with the kids. I'm delegating. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How important is it that we take spiritual leadership as the men of our homes? We, we, we like to admit, I'm in charge. You know, I call the shots in my, my house. That's my castle. Well, then, then start leading the castle. You know, don't, don't delegate it all. We can delegate it. Well, I'm the big cheese. I'm the head honcho. I mean, I, I'm going to tell, you know, you, you make sure you make your bed. You make sure you do this. 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 And then somebody's like, well, what, what's dad doing? What, what's dad doing? Well, he's out golfing again. What's dad doing? Well, he, he's tied up. Was he going to come to devotions? Is he going to sit down and talk Bible with us too tomorrow? Well, he's tied up. He's got things he's got to do. It's pretty important stuff. Four. Wouldn't have to say that if you were on target. <laughs> See that subtle little play there? Yeah. You say, that's just because I hit the ball so far. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and not John Daly. That dates me, doesn't it? Some of you know who John Daly is, a golfer. He is way back there. But anyway, he used to hit well over 300. But nonetheless, him and I used to have good conversations. But anyway, uh, not really. But nonetheless, 
we got to make room for God in our home. And it starts with us. So here you say, obviously Christ ought to be at the center of every home. You know, what does that mean? Well, first his presence is required. We want his presence in our home, right? That's, that has to happen. Well, that demands holiness then. Over in the book of Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. If I'm going to be in his presence, then I need to be holy. But if he's going to come into my home, then I need to clean the joint up a little bit. we got to clean it up. There might be some things there that don't belong there. Well, clean it up. I don't know what's in your home. You don't know what's in mine necessarily, but there may be something in our homes that needs cleaned up. Let's clean it up. If we want his presence, if we're saying it's a prerequisite, we've got to have Christ in our home. Well, then clean it up. It means his will is pursued. We want the will of God to be completed. We want the will of God to take place. And we want it in our life. We want it in our family. We want the will of God in our home. Like Christ was determined to fulfill the will of his Father, we too should make fulfilling the will of the Father a priority in our hearts and our lives. Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42, he's saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We want the will of God in our homes. So we're going to require or request his presence. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to pursue his will, but also his word and ways are practiced. We're going to practice the, 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 the word of God, the ways of God in our home. We're going to make room for him by doing that. We're going to consciously say, I'm going to obey God. We're going to obey God. We're going to do things God's way in this home. Psalm 1830, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler to all those that trust in him. See, first of all, there's no better way than God's way. That's just, we, we see that here in scripture. No better way than his way. Even when it doesn't line, align itself with our philosophy or our thinking, his thinking is always correct. His word is always true. And it's always what's best for us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And his path for you and in your home is the best and safest of all your options. It always is. When we choose to travel his pathway, we're agreeing to obey his word. His word, according to the scripture, is tried, it's proven, it's tested. Again, you can't go wrong with God and his word. You just can't go wrong with that. And so many, so many have chosen to neglect his word and ways for another pathway. But even if they seem to succeed in this life, they're going to be sadly disappointed in the end. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Well, we need to make sure we're putting him center stage. Making room for Jesus Christ. We have to do that. If we're going to put Christ at the center of our home, then his pleasure has to be sought. Turn, if you would, to Revelation 4.11. We're almost done. Revelation 4.11.
I love these verses. This is or a verse. I, this is a great verse. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You say, man, I, I believe that. But not only does he tell us that, but then he goes on to say why. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. What he's saying is basically this. We were all created by God, and because of that, He is worthy of the glory, honor, and power. And because of that as well, he, because He created us, He expects to get pleasure from us. He deserves pleasure from us. They, we were created for His pleasure, He says. That's why we were created. Someone says, well, why, 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 do you, why are you on earth? What's your purpose for existing here? And someone says, well, to make the world a better place. Oh, that, that's, that, that sounds good, but that's not really why you're here, right? According to the word of God, you're here to bring pleasure to God. I'm here to bring pleasure to God. How can I best do that? You know, one of the biggest problems that I have with all this gender debate and all this mess going on, you know one of my biggest problems is? Is that a boy that tries to look like a girl and a girl that tries to look like a boy cannot bring pleasure to the one who created them with a specific purpose. Now listen, you, you don't have to agree where a pastor's going to land right now. That's okay. You take it up with God. I, don't, I believe personally that the best way a woman can bring pleasure to God is to look most like a woman she possibly can. And you don't have to agree with me on this statement, but I think a woman looks most like a woman when she has a dress on. You don't have to agree with me. You do whatever you want. That's your business. You'll answer to God for what you do. I'll answer to God for what I do. But I'm going to tell you this. If God created you to be a woman and to be feminine, then you ought to be a woman and be as feminine as you possibly can be. If he created you to be a man and you're to be a, a protector and masculine and strong on behalf of weak people and family and loved ones and children, then you need to be all man. That's how you bring pleasure to God, to be everything he created you to be. He defines what he wants us to be. And one of the great travesties in our world is that we have men trying to act like women and women acting like men, and we've even got them now where they're actually trying to change their genders, and they're saying God doesn't know what he's doing. When I was born, I wanted to be, I feel like a boy when God supposedly made me as a girl. God messed up. God doesn't mess up. Now, you might be confused, and you know what? We can get confused in this life as human beings, but God's not messing up. What a sad, sad situation we are in. What a horrible situation to take young children and tell them that, you know what, if you don't think you should be a boy, then we're going to go ahead and make sure you can't be for the rest of your life by wrecking and ruining what God started. What a sad thing. Young lady, 16 years old, decides she doesn't want to be a girl no more, wants to be a boy, and we just remove everything we can to make her as much a boy as possible. And one day she wakes up and says, you know what? I really am a girl. But it's too late now. 
You got men that are running around being with men and women going around being with women and we're wondering what's going on. You know what that's all about? That's just, God, you don't matter to me at all. I don't want, you, you created me, but I don't care if I bring pleasure to you or not. I'm going to do what brings pleasure to me. As believers, let's make sure we're not the guilty parties here. Let's do our very best, filled with the Spirit, to comply with God and His Word. Let's make sure that we invite Him in our home and that we seek His pleasure in our home. Things that please God in our homes. And that not only that, but His Spirit is welcome. Let's make sure we invite the Holy Spirit into our homes. He says, quench not the Spirit. And you know what? We shouldn't do that. Neither should we grieve the Spirit. Man, in our homes, we need to make sure it's a conducive to the Spirit of God that He feels comfortable there. You know, we talk about praying. We say, oh, Lord, in this big day, we're going to have Sunday. And I was praying it just this weekend. Lord, as people pull onto the parking lot, may they feel the very presence of God. May they know they're in your presence, not just at a church, but they're literally in the presence of God. We should feel that way about our homes. That's a prayer we need for our home. Lord, let this home be such that the Holy Spirit is so comfortable here that when people come onto our property here at my home, whether it be a male person, whether it be somebody delivering a package or possibly a family member or a friend knocks at my door, they can say, there's something different about this home already. Something different. Let it be the Spirit of God. May we not be entangled with the affairs of this life to the point where we have no room for Jesus. Hey, innkeeper, we could all probably give him a piece of our mind. But let's make sure we're not guilty of the same thing. Being so filled up that we don't have room for Jesus. So much activity in the home that we just don't have room for Jesus. So much activity in our lives, we just don't have room for Jesus. Have you any room for Jesus? What a great song that is, isn't it? Have you any room for Jesus? What a great song. Well, we need to make room for him. Father, we come to you. Thank you for what you do for us and all you mean to us. And Lord, I, I know this message was kind of heavy tonight, but Lord, I just, uh, in my own life, Lord, I, I, I know that if I'm not careful about the only time I come to you is when I want something. God, may that not be the case. And I, I, you know I'm trying to do better at that all the time. But Lord, I need to be successful at it. And I need to make sure that my heart is just to want to be in your presence, just to be with you, spend time with you, put you at the center of my life, on the throne of my life. And Lord, that's true in all of us as believers. Help us, Lord, to make room for you in our life. Not just for what you can give us, but for you as, a, as our God, our Savior, our Lord. Please, Father, uh, help us to let Jesus rule and reign on the throne of our life. We need you. May you help us to make room for Jesus this week by scheduling time to meet with him consistently, scheduling time to just sit in his presence, to rest in his presence and allow him to take us in his arms and hold us close. Oh, let it be personal, we pray. We love you, we need you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all